The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Who would have thought such glorious words? Who would have thought that when Jesus announced that these ancient words from the old prophecy, that they were being fulfilled on that very day through Jesus in their midst, who would have thought that instead of repentance and faith in him as the fulfillment of all God's gracious purposes to sinful and miserable mankind, that they would reject him. Who is this? Who is he to make such a claim? We know who he is. He's Joseph's son. He's one of us. And when Jesus elaborates and explains to them why they rejected their own Savior, because a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, they actually attempt to kill him. That's right. In his hometown, if we can put it this way, In his home church, among his people, not only do they find themselves outraged that he has the the gall to claim to be the, the Son of God, the Chosen One, the fulfillment of the good news of these prophecies, but they even try to kill him and thrust him off the edge of a cliff that he might die upon the rocks below. Very strange. That's an understatement. But it's not so strange if we understand the nature of humanity as we considered this morning that not only is mankind by nature from our birth because of the sin of our first parents that we are, we, we reject by nature Not only God's law, but also his gospel. We're allergic to our own cure. Then we can begin to understand this. But others received him. Others were given light. And one of them, one of them who actually was not there in person as Peter, James, and John, and who was actually not a Jew, he was a Greek. And he was a doctor by profession. His name was Luke. Luke, at a later point, during the time of the apostles, not long after Jesus died and rose again, Luke took it upon himself to do deep and thorough research 
of all the eyewitnesses who remain concerning the life and ministry of Jesus. And so he wrote his own gospel, the gospel according to Luke, and he made a second part. Really, Luke contributes a two-volume work under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, which though they are distinct, they are intimately connected and they show the, the fingerprints of the unique person of good Dr. Luke as he brings out certain distinct features and aspects of Jesus, his person, and his work. And so what we're doing in this message and in the next as we continue our series in what we call a Reformed Biblical Theology, we consider uh, the theology or the message of Luke and Acts. In fact, we're hyphenating these two books, as sometimes they are, to, to really put them as close together as we can. It's a two-volume work, Luke Acts, and we'll see that there are many features that link them together. Well, we're going to consider four themes that come to a certain prominence in these two works of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, and they are this afternoon, first, eyewitness salvation history. Eyewitness salvation history. Second, God and his sovereign plan. God and his sovereign plan. Third, universality. And fourth, the Holy Spirit. First, eyewitness salvation history. Now, all of the Gospels are eyewitness accounts. Two of them are accounts that we believe were were taken down by those who themselves weren't necessarily eyewitnesses, but the account that they give is a very well-researched, we might even say a a peer-reviewed paper. (laughs) A lot of effort went into this. In the first four verses, Luke shows how very careful with the, the precision of a good doctor. He wants to give a faithful account. He diligently searched these things and he has given to us Uh, by the Lord, an eyewitness account. An eyewitness account of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and all that he did. And in the Acts of the Apostles, what he continued to do from heaven. And that's really the the great difference between the two works. They're united by Jesus Christ. Here is his work on earth. There it is his work from heaven. We can see something of this uh, emphasis on the eyewitness salvation history 
that Luke records when we go to Acts chapter 10. And remember that what Luke is recording for us here is Peter has been sent to go to a Gentile household. They're not, they're not Jews, but they've been told, Cornelius has been told that God is sending Peter, the apostle, to bear witness to them concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, Peter gets there. It's kind of an interesting situation. He's not used to being with these people and certainly not used to eating their food because God had up to that point forbidden certain foods that the Gentiles ate. But God was making it clear that he's bringing this good news to the Gentiles. Well, we read what Peter relates. That word, Acts 10, 36 and on, which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How? God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Where do we read that? Well, among other places, we read of it in Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And now, Peter says, we're telling you what we saw, what we witnessed. That God anointed Jesus, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed with the devil, for God was with him. Didn't we read that in Luke chapter 4? These people possessed and tyrannized by demons. With a word, he drives them out. Legion, be silent. We saw these things. We witnessed them. And now God has sent me to you, Cornelius, so that you can hear this salvation history that we saw. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. You didn't see it. We did. And now we're telling you so that you can believe. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained by God to be the judge of the quick or the living and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believes on him shall receive remission of sins. And so we see the, the, the accent that Luke is giving as he calls attention to what God did in Jesus and by Jesus from heaven and his Holy Spirit through his apostles going into the world so that others might believe. And not just to report all the news that's fit to print on any certain day, 
We can get on our phones right now, and for all I know, we might learn of yet another strange balloon uh, that is flying through the skies, and we don't know exactly uh, what it's all about and what actually happened when it was shot down and when it was retrieved. There's all kinds of bits of information, some more, some less important. But this is salvation history. Certain things happened in a land halfway around the world by a certain man who was no mere man. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He went about doing these marvelous wonders. He was crucified by his own, and yet this is no tragedy. This is good news because on the third day, he rose again from the dead, and we saw him. And we, some of us even touched him. And by faith in him, all of our sins can be forgiven And we can be given an everlasting hope so that though we die, death is not the end. In fact, death is but a doorway into glory. So Cornelius, believe on these things. That's that's one of the accents. And it's not fundamentally different from any of the other Gospels, but there are just certain accents certain emphases. Maybe all the more because Luke wasn't an eyewitness, but his work shows all the signs of a great care and a concern to hear from those who are eyewitnesses and respect those who were chosen as we read. You know, good journalists, they respect their sources. And that's an amazing thing. We have not followed cunningly devised fables. These aren't myths and nice stories. Recently, I uh, was looking through some of the children's books that I used to read to my children when they were very young. And... I was just thinking to myself, it it may not be so terribly uh, far away that I'll be picking these out again and reading them to some little ones. They're nice books, but they're not real. They're cute, but they're not real. This is not just nice Interesting, cute, but not real stories. No. And these are the things, friends, these are the things that made willing martyrs out of the early Christians. And they weren't the kind of martyrs who got on horses with swords to go uh, cut down the enemies and force conversions. No. They were so convinced and they were so overwhelmed by the love that was in God in Christ towards them that they were willing to go anywhere for Jesus and they were just so drunk with the love of Jesus that they couldn't stop talking about him. Christian, are you so drunk with Jesus that you can't stop talking about him? 
Luke, of course, following the pattern of the other Gospels, gives the main things. Of course, there's the death and the resurrection. But interestingly, Luke gives us an account that is not given in either of the three other Gospels, a rather lengthy account of the the conception and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapters 1 and 2. These things were seen. The story of of Elizabeth with the baby leaping in her womb. When Mary comes in, something happens inside and there's something of joy of the little John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth who was way, way, way past the age of having children but the Lord favored her. All that is recorded by the careful Dr. Luke. For without the entrance of Christ into the world taking our flesh, there would be no death and resurrection. There would be no salvation. The ascension is given perhaps an even greater uh, level of attention. After 40 days, we read in Luke 24 that he, he led them as far out as to Bethany after he rose from the dead. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And then in volume two of this two-part series, is a repeat with further details. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received them out of their sight. They're looking, looking up into the clouds as he bodily went up into heaven. And then Luke records for us what no one else does, that there were angels who all of a sudden were there. And they said, now, what are you doing looking up there? This same Jesus who is gone in your sight into heaven, the same shall come again in the same way. The apostles reconvene. They fill the empty spot of Judas the betrayer. And they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we often fail to appreciate that what happened on Pentecost, when they were all in the upper room, they were told to wait in Jerusalem until they received power from on high so that they might be energized to bring this news of the salvation, the history of the Lord Jesus Christ that they had seen with their own eyes, they needed power and they received it. All of a sudden, there is a mighty rushing wind. And then flames of fire as a a cloven tongue upon each of their heads. And then they begin to speak in other languages that they'd never been told before. And this in fulfillment of the ancient prophecies. Friends, this Pentecost is a major moment in the story of salvation. Not the story, the history. These things were seen. 
Not that you can see the Holy Spirit any more than you can see the wind, but you can see the effects. And the Acts of the Apostles is Jesus ruling from heaven, sending his spirit and continuing and furthering his own kingdom by his witnesses. So first, that's a major theme, eyewitness salvation history. Now second, God and his sovereign plan. God and his sovereign plan. It's interesting to do some comparisons and to notice certain verses that we don't find in the other Gospels, one of which is this. Jesus says, if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, of course, God is over everything and unites everything, especially in scriptures. But we do see something of, of a, a kind of focus on God as the exalted, the high, the sovereign one. The end of Stephen's sermons in Acts 7, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, this becomes perhaps even more uh, uh, tangible when we see the, the, the apostles going out into the Gentile world where people don't know of Jehovah. But Paul says to the, to the Iconiums, they're about to do sacrifice to them, thinking that they're these Greek gods that have come among them. No, no, no. We're preaching to you that you should turn from these vanities to worship the one true and living God. And truly, he did not leave himself without witness. He did good, giving us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Friends, he was saying this to the people who live in, then in what is now modern-day Turkey. God, the same God has given us all these things, and he has now sent his son Jesus to save you. Or Paul going in Athens. Do they know Jehovah? They don't know the first thing about Jehovah. They don't know the first thing about the God whom they think that they worship, for they have made an altar to the unknown God. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare unto you, the God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Indeed, in, in him we live and move and have our being. Don't think that he is the God of the Hebrews. Full stop. He is the God that made the heavens and the earth and the God who is made of one blood all the nations upon the earth and has set the bounds of their habitations and their dwellings that they might seek the Lord if haply they might be found of Him. 
seeing that he is not far from every one of them. There is something of the transcendence and the majesty of God that is called uh, to our attention and his sovereign plan. Jesus said, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise again the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. It's like what Jesus is talking about here is an engine that has been in, uh, in the making and being fine-tuned and tested and is all ready to be brought to life. Everything, all the plans that were designed are now being realized. The blueprints are now in the final stages of coming to a reality. It is all a part of the sovereign plan. And what is unfinished, I'm charging you to do. I go into heaven. I have done my work. I have paid the great price. And my Father has rewarded me, giving me life. And now, it pleases my Father and it pleases me to be removed from this world. Because I will have you write the next chapter. And actually, you'll not write it. You'll simply carry it out. For I have written it already. The absolute sovereignty of God leaps off of the pages that come to us from the pen of good Dr. Luke. Him, as he records Peter, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Let us thank God for good Dr. Luke, or we would not have had those words. We would not have seen the absolute sovereignty of God, indeed, of Jesus. Though the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. And Herod kills one and he sees that it pleases the Jews. So he'll go ahead and he'll arrest and get ready to kill another. And by the end of the chapter, as he's basking in the praise of all the people who are telling him it is the voice of a God and not of a man, immediately the angel of the Lord strikes him down. And he dies of a most miserable, wretched, and shameful disease, eaten of worms. But the word of God grew and multiplied. 
the energy, the power, the force that began when Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. It grows, it expands, and though it seemed to be snuffed out at the cross, the embers burst into life again. And his ascension into heaven is no retreat, for it is from heaven that he gives his Holy Spirit to the weak and powerless band of those who were trembling for their lives and cast down and dejected at the crucifixion of their master. You shall be my witnesses. I think at this point we will leave the next two points for our following message, but let me conclude. Dear friends, to call you, call you to the doctor's office. We've talked this morning how we're broken. Deep down, we sense there is something wrong with us. And the Bible tells us, well, you're on to something, but you do not know the half of it. Our situation is so helpless and so hopeless that it took nothing less than the Son of God entering the womb of a poor Jewish woman to come into this sin-cursed and tortured world that he might bring us salvation, that he being anointed with the Holy Ghost, may preach the gospel, the good news to the poor, to give sight to those who are blind, liberty to those who are imprisoned. And dear friends, the good news, the good news is not only that it happened, but that it was seen, and that it was carefully recorded, and that it was revealed to us so that we can believe it. God wants your heart, but the way to get to your heart is through your head. And Christian as we are often downcast, struggling under various burdens and trials and many, many temptations and fears. And above all, continuing to struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they never seem to leave us alone. We can go to Luke We can go into the doctor's office and receive not only the diagnosis, but the wonderful medicine of the Lord Jesus Christ 
which medicine he gave to 12 poor men who had nothing in themselves. And he said, go. Go heal the world. Be my hands and feet as I, as I heal the world. May God grant us that faith and that healing. To his name's praise, amen. Let us close in prayer. Shall we stand? Lord, we pray now that we might be empowered by this wonderful gospel and that we would tap into that same power that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, that power that comes by the Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost and then poured out upon the Gentiles who through faith believed in Christ. Lord, may we be re-energized and re-empowered to be witnesses in the world. And Lord, may we do our part, however small, uh, in bringing uh, this wonderful message to others. And may we live it, O God. Hear us, we ask, in the worthy name of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. Amen.